I took the lead. Where's a good station? Somebody's heart. Glorious. Glorious. Amen. Guardians of Grace. What's wrong? Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. Relax. You have found the right place. We're here to serve. Join us. Holding to pure grace. Again. Relax. Join in with us. Listen on. Be blessed. Fenders of Grace. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Guardians of Grace podcast. So good to be here this morning, sitting across the table from my good buddy, Grace Guard Dog, Steve. How are you this morning, Steve? I am doing well. I'm psyched about John 316. It seemed like we just touched the surface of it last week, but I think we, we've got to push on. We've got to track on a little bit. There's more more to it that we just haven't mentioned yet. And, and it makes a solid case for the n- new covenant theology to think about the new covenant and the judgments of the new covenant and to think along those lines. It, John 3, the whole chapter really points us in that direction. So I, I think it's cool. I'm stoked. Me too. You know, I, I got some feedback. People that said, you know, we did know John 3.16, of course, but they hadn't really put John 3.17 together. Did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Then he goes on about the judgment, uh, which we, we went over last week. And I think it it can use some more explanation. I, th- I think we've laid a foundation, but I think we need to tie it together. And since it went so viral, it went so viral, it must mean that people are interested in the subject. The only thing that stood out in the title was John 3.16, which does happen to be the most probably quoted verse, famous verse. Yeah. Yeah. We'll name them all John 3.16 from now on. (laughs) (laughs) Because we sure did get a lot of downloads. John 3.16. Part 3,740. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. We will repeat John 3.16 for downloads. Yes. Well, you know how we're, we're meeting with some of the saints and listeners of Guardians of Grace, some of the other guard dogs around here, doing it every other Saturday. And, boy, it's turned out to be a good time. We made some rules last time. Okay, we'll just maybe share 15 minutes and then talk of half hour answer some questions and get some feedback we went almost four hours <laughs> that's awesome man. and, and that's no how, one was bored no that's that's when you're into the scriptures man it just time goes by it was and that remember reminds me of days of old man we used to sit there till what two and three in the morning and then go to Denny's yeah where it was open 24 hours, so... Yeah, till sunup. Yeah, 
just studying away. Couldn't help ourselves. Sharing scriptures. And well, so a, a lot of people were asking about John 3.16. It was the topic of last Saturday night, too, since it just came out. I would say one of the, the points they, they were asking about is it seems like this John 3.16 is the, for lack of a better word, the quid pro quo, if you do this, God will do this. And listening to the podcast, they started saying, wow, this John 3.16 is, it's not the ticket to heaven everyone says it is. Because it's not a one-time event. They were commenting on the uh, lasagna in the oven. Yeah. Reflecting the middle voice. In case you missed the uh, podcast last week, we were talking about how believing is a present active, present middle voice participle. Exactly. And that's got ramifications to it. When it's a participle, meaning it's just as much a noun as it is a verb. It's like dancing is, is a noun and a verb because it's a present active participle, while believing is a present middle voice participle. And another way to think of believing, you could say abiding, you could say trusting, you could say depending, you could say leaning on. We said trusting all this other, but you get the point. Yes. And so when you look at John 3.16 and you think about why all this time from Adam till now, did we just get the concept of trusting, leaning, depending, abiding now? Why did we why did we, why go through all the the law, have this idea in our mind that there's a gap we could close that separates us and God? You've heard that. If you ever had a chick track handed to you, you you've read it now. You saw the puny little guy and the guy on the high tower and Yes. How do you get from there to here? That is not a biblical doctrine. That's a Pharisee doctrine. That Mm -hmm. that was their big thing about there's a big gulf. You have to keep the law and you have to keep these other fence laws that they they came up with to keep you from breaking those laws. Let me get to the reason why he had to allow all that wrong thinking before he could get to how he really beliefs how we live the new covenant life by depend yeah why not just start off that yes because if you don't see you were created to be you were created in his image and in that sense you are like god and, and even even the lie that was told from the serpent was part of god's plan he, he allowed that to happen so that he could put the idea in Adam, Adam represent all humanity. We're all born with this separation idea in us. Why put that in there? It's the reason God put it in the mind of man and kept that going was when he did reveal his love to us, we would know without a doubt it's not based on anything we could do or anything well, first, it's not based on anything we could do. And we learned that lesson well. And now he's saying, and it's also not disqualified. 
by anything you could or could not do or did. And so it starts out, for God so loved the world, and that word for is the Greek word gar, means assigning a reason. Means what? Assigning a reason. Assigning a reason. The reason God did this is because he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for the purpose of. There's that word henna again. It means he may or may not do it, but in this case it means for the purpose of. For the purpose of believing, trusting, depending, abiding, present, middle, voice, right? Present, middle, participle. Middle voice, participle, meaning believing, trusting, Mm -hmm. abiding. All these words start to make sense. And the present part means continually, every minute, moment by moment. You can have eternal life. And that word eternal life doesn't mean live forever, even though it does. But it's really the life belonging to the ages. We've let this word eternity become living forever in heaven or the other place. <laughs> what it means is it's it comes from the, the Greek word aeon. Mm-hmm. It also comes from the Hebrew word olam. And we know it doesn't mean forever. The same word is used for Jonah. Exactly. That he was in, it says he was in, the King James says he was in the, the mouth of the, the belly of the whale forever. King James went ahead and printed hell forever. But he was he was there, what, three days? Three days. The lineage of Jesus, there's a, a Moabite. In the, and it says in Deuteronomy that you shall not marry a Moabite up to ten generations. Then it says, so you shall not marry a Moabite forever. It uses Ola. Yes. So it doesn't mean forever it means an age and then it defined the age for up to 10 10 generations yes it it being an adjective it controls the noun to some degree but also the noun controls it if you said bill was a tall person it would mean something different than if you said that's a tall building that's a great analogy steve is 10 feet tall well, it depends on what it's modifying. Like you just said, for a person, yeah, that's a world record. Yeah. For when a building, no. When it not. says the invisible, immortal, everlasting God, then Ionion Zoe means forever. Forever, correct. But when it says in the mouth of the whale, it means three days. So this life of the ages that it's talking about in John 3.16, having that life of the ages, the aeon, aeonian life, or aeonian being the adjective for aeon, which is a, a period of time, it's talking about kingdom age life. It's talking about life in the presence of God. It's talking about fellowship, Union, abiding in the vine type of life, bearing fruit type of life. It's a quality of eternal life. Is a quality of life. And that's what it says. That the one trusting in him, 
moment by moment, is experiencing the life of the ages. Yes. Kingdom, age, life, now. Right. And that's why in John 17 it says, This is eternal life. I I only only own Zoe. That you know, and it's that word, gnosis, experience him. You're experiencing his life. Yes. Meaning you're abiding in him. And that's the way Jesus defined Ionion Zoe. So it doesn't matter how many professorships you have next to your name. I'm still going with the way Jesus described Ionion Zoe. So he set up all this so we could get to the point where we could trust him, believing on him, depend on him, and every time we're depending on him for that period of time we're experiencing Ionian Zoe or his life. Yes. Kingdom age life. Yes. That's where I I always took my hat off to to Young's literal transition that kept trying and trying to to get a good yeah. English word for Ionian Zoe when it would say age during life. Age during life. They never say eternal life. They say age during yeah. life. Young's literal never does say eternal life. That guy, his sole purpose was to translate the Bible as close as he could to the original Hebrew and original Greek. And I commending for that because it, it confuses you when when we say John 3.16 determines where you're going to spend eternity forever and ever and ever and ever. Right. And you can write the date that you believed in the first page of your Bible because that's the date you first got to go to heaven when, when it's not. It's continually moment by moment believing. It's not a time where you went down the altar and said, I'm receiving the Lord this date, this hour, I believe, therefore I'm going to heaven, as all the altar calls make it out to be. And then God wrote your name in the mm-hmm. book of life, or didn't blot it out. Mm-hmm. That just misses the meaning of it. So the meaning of it is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and the that whosoever trusting in him moment by moment experiences this type of life. So why go through all the law? Why go through all the the other methods that seem to say the law, the law was, if you do this, God will do this. If you don't do this, God will not do this for you. The famous quote in Hebrews 13 where it says, I will never, no, never leave you. I will never, never, no, never forsake you. Actually came from Deuteronomy 31, I think it is. And in Deuteronomy 31, he says, don't be afraid. Go into the land. I will I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And then the people said, we will go into the land. And we will, once again, we will keep the law. And he says, when you go into the land you're going to start worshiping their gods and you're going to worship their idols remember their god gods and idols are the same thing 
they're both man-made. In Psalm 115, it says they have eyes but can't see. They have ears but can't hear. They have mouths but can't talk. And hands but can't do anything with them. And it says the ones that make them follow them and live like them and have their beliefs. What they believe is reflected in their idols. And their idols were always these angry, wooden gods with mean faces on them that you have to please and never disappoint. And if you do everything right, they'll make things go good for you. One of the funniest things, I think, in the Bible is Jonah, remember who was in the belly of the whale forever? Well, he's out of the belly now, so <laughs> definitely Olaf couldn't have meant forever. But he's swallowed up by a fish, and the Ninevites worshipped a fish god. So God has a fish throw up his prophet <laughs> on the shore. If you saw someone that preached against your idol, just, in other words, the God that Jonah served was in control of the God that they created in their imagination. I can make your God do whatever I want. God allows them to go into the land and forget everything they knew, their loving God that said he will never leave you and forsake you. And then in the latter part of John, or Deuteronomy 31, he doesn't say, he says, you're going to worship them. And then he says something interesting. I will hide myself from. He doesn't say, I will leave you or forsake you. But he will hide himself. And so it appeared even though it wasn't true, it appeared as if he had forsaken them and he had left them. And so God was willing to let people think false thoughts about him because he had the, the long game in mind. He had the, the big picture in mind. So he was willing to let them think horrible things about him because he loved them. That's why he said God so loved the world he allowed all that to happen. And then he allowed all these thoughts about a God that's impossible to please to build up in their minds, right? In their thoughts, in their worship. So then Jesus comes on the scene and he says, now I'm going to show you what the real, my beloved son, the son whom I love, I'm going to allow people that worship angry gods and have all these thoughts that you can't please God and that God is a impossible God to please and earn his love, I'm going to put my son in the hands of angry sinners. And what did Jesus say to those people, to, to his father? Forgive them, they know not what they do. And they really did not know what they were doing. You would have done the same thing and I would have done the same. So God demonstrated his love while, while we were yet sinner, his son died for and you see the concept? We love God because he first loved us. And how did he love us? God so loved the world because he gave his only son to people that never earned it, never deserved it. That's what agape love is. I like to watch TikTok videos, <laughs> TikTok, even though I have kind of a waste of time. But you see people that train you how to get like those squirrels to hand feed a squirrel. I don't have the patience for that. But it takes these guys long periods of time to get the squirrel to 
come up to you and take from your hand and trust you. It takes a lot of time for them to get to trust you. And one thing they said, if you just one time do something to discern that trust, you'll never get them to come back. So when God sent his only son to die for us, a demonstration of his love, that was what it took to get us to trust him. It took knowing that we don't deserve anything from God, knowing that he loved us in spite of our behavior. He, he loved us in spite of the, the lie we believed, that there was a, a big separation from God and we had to close the gap. All those things are destroyed with John 3.16. And the result of John 3.16 is you may have fear of this, but if you have the reverence of abiding in the vine, you're, you're going to trust in the invisible God rather than trust what you see around you. And at the same time, it's going to have a way of you laying aside all the things that you put confidence. Like Paul said, we put no confidence in the flesh. You'll do away with that and you'll get rid of that whole thought of I can do anything to, I can do something that would, now I don't love you so much and you have to, there's, now there's a gap between us. But if you first John 1, 9 confess, then you, you get back. You don't have to receive me again. You don't have to believe in me as your Savior again. But you do have to confess your sins and restore the relationship. And then that's where we get our, well, no, you, 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 don't, you don't lose your eternal life, but you broke fellowship. That's nowhere part of the new covenant plan. You break fellowship in your mind, not in God's mind. When you think you broke fellowship, all you actually did was make it easier for you to trust him the next time. You build on that. You say, oh, I did that. I wasn't abiding then. I wasn't trusting him. I was relying on my own strength. And that's what happened. But unconditional love builds a faithful dependence on the life of Christ. So, Bill, what you're saying is... The, the passage that says God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever is believing into him should have age during life. Ionion, Zoe, eternal life, should experience God's life. And you, you're saying that the whole Bible was constructed to bring us to that point so that we could understand John 3.16. It really was. He set up the Bible and orchestrated the events and, and put together a nation in the midst of many nations and gave them those rules and said, okay, now you've got the land, 11 parcels of land for 12 tribes. Now you obey me in your own human strength and l let the good times roll is, is what he said in Joshua 24 but he told them you can't do it he's too holy you're going to be a witness against yourself and from Joshua 24 till John 3 16 
all we read about was Israel's failure to please the living God. And they tried and tried and tried and tried and got trashed and got trashed and repented and repented and repented, but they could never stay on track which is the same with us. We're supposed to realize that also so that God who gave his only begotten son so that we, and as the verb is, it's continual, moment by moment, we, moment by moment, believe that his life flowing through us is the only way to live a model Christian life. That's exactly why the gos- the law came before the gospel. That's- if, if the gospel came before the law, there would be no appreciation of it. But the law came before the gospel. Yes. It, it was A came before B. Yeah, it, it, was, it had to be. It was orderly. He, he showed us that we couldn't do it and said, now I'm going to fulfill Ezekiel yes. and Jeremiah and say, I'll make a new covenant with you and I will put my spirit in you. And that's what he means by those who are believing in this spirit that is in him are experiencing God or eternal life and then they are practicing the truth. They're saying, it's not me who did it, but it's God through me who is blossoming and becoming a model, model, model Christian. It's the spirit of God in me. That's what I believe every moment of every day. That's and why it's, it's, sorry to interrupt, but that's why it's spirit's faith, not your faith. Your, your faith or faith under the law was a work of the law, a requirement of the law. In Matthew 23, 23, I think it is. You, it was a you tithe, requirement. Right. You tithe on your spice and your cumin, but you ignore the weightier matters of the law. And one of the weightier matters of the law Jesus listed was faith, faithfulness. He said you ignored that. Galatians 2, 15, 16 says that we rely on the faithfulness of Christ and not works of the law. Well, if it's our faith, it, that it would be a work of the law, and that's unreliable. And it says no flesh will be justified. No human effort will be justified. And then you move on a little further. He, he says, what then was the purpose of the law? Why even have the law? What was the purpose of it? He said it was added because of transgressions so yeah. he could mark out all those unfaithful acts and it was it says in Galatians 3 it was a tutor to lead us to Christ it was a tutor to lead us to a right understanding of John 3:16 he gave his son to us so that Every moment that we are believing in his son, we are actually manifesting his son and experiencing his son, which is experiencing eternal life, which is experiencing the kingdom of God. Didn't Jesus used to say in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the kingdom of God is within you. Now he says, 
eternal life is within you. But in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he would call it the kingdom of God. Isn't the kingdom of God not a matter of eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit? It's a feeling that is in you. That's Romans 14, 17. It's a feeling that is in you because of the Spirit's activity in you. When the Spirit is active in you, you are, number one, believing and full of all faith. And number two, you are not acting like a Yahoo, but you're acting like an upstanding Christian man or woman, and you are doing all the right things. And then by the Spirit's power, you should be practicing the truth. The truth is, it's not me doing it, but it's the Spirit of God in me. Isn't that what it says the Holy Spirit does? It testifies of Jesus. When you're saying it's not me in you, it's actually the Spirit in you testifying of Jesus. When you say it's, it's Jesus in me, not me doing it, that's the Holy Spirit in you testifying about what a good job Jesus does. That's why in 1 John 2, 27, it says you need not that a man teach you, but the anointing will teach you. And as it is real and not counterfeit, it teaches you to abide in Christ. Isn't that what Jesus said? Abide in me and I will abide in you and you'll bear much fruit. This is the new covenant concept that we rely on the spirit of God so it's no wonder that J Jesus would word John 3:16 the way he did those who are continually continuing to believe in me are experiencing way and which as John 17:3 says is experiencing God it's all set up to, to lead you towards this new covenant. Isn't that what they said in Hebrews? That I'll make a new covenant with you. Let me just read it right out of Hebrews. It, it says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers, when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in that covenant. And I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel now. You guys, I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them upon their hearts. And as it says in Ezekiel 36, 27, I will put my spirit in them and they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother saying, know the Lord for all shall know me from the least to the greatest of them. He says, and not everybody will have to teach his brother to experience the Lord because they will all see the Lord 
once you know what it's like when the Lord manifests himself, that's what Hebrews is telling us, that he makes a new covenant and you don't have to teach each other what it's like to experience the Lord because people will be able to see the Lord manifesting himself through a person, which is what faith is. Which is why we had to go through the old covenant. So you would not have faith in yourself. So you would not depend on yourself. So you would not rely on yourself. So you would not abide in your human effort. That was why you had to go through all that. That was to destroy all confidence in, in your flesh. Like Paul said in Philippians 3, if anyone has reason to put confidence in their faithfulness, I have far more. And he lists all his confidence. And then he says, but whatever was to my credit, I counted loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Now, Experiencing Christ. Paul had pharisaical, if that's a word, faith. He he could do a lot, and he, he was working on gaining God's acceptance by his faithfulness until he gets to the point where he says, I count it all dumb, dumb that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. Righteousness is another word for faithfulness. It's keeping the covenant. Right. But this covenant isn't kept. The new covenant is not kept by you. The new covenant is a faithfulness between the Father and the Son. It's, yes. It's all God-centered and God-kept. Yes. And once you've learned the, the parameters of this new covenant, you can literally see God working through people. That's why it says those believing in him may have eyes to see and ears to hear and a mind that understands. They may have eternal life. They may be producing that experience of eternal life because they can see God through them by faith. Isn't faith the evidence of things hoped for and the proof of things unseen? It is. You don't see them, but you see them by faith. So when Jesus is saying he gave his only son that whoever is facing, whoever is believing in him and seeing him through people around by faith, we live by faith, not by sight. We live by the faith that we can see the invisible God through a person. It's all trying to tell us the same thing if we can get that. I go down the altar for John 3.16 and that's how I know I got saved mentality out of the equation because that's not the way Jesus was using the verb. He was talking about continually, day by day, believing in the Son of God to do for a person what a person can't do for themselves. And then they practice the truth and say, it wasn't me doing it, it was God in me, which is the rest of the, the chapter which we want to get to in a 
part three. I think we should do a part three because we still haven't got to take for, uh, John chapter three, the whole chapter, and put it in context of itself. Just for now, though, you see that God so loved the world, he loved us so we could love him. But until you see he loves you in spite of you, you'll always think there's something you could do with your faith, faithfulness. And that's that's why the John 3.16 with that interpretation is, well, God maybe didn't ask a lot. He didn't ask us to keep the law, but he did ask us to make a, a faithful profession of faith or a commitment. And I know this is controversial, but it's that's not what he's asking. That's he's, not what the verb says. He demonstrated his love. Yes. He, he demonstrated his love by putting us under the law that we could not keep, failing miserably, and then saying, I love you. Don't you get it? I just love you. Yes. I, I want to take care of you. Be, I, you can trust me. That is why he said, what is the first and most important command? That you love the Lord your God with all your heart. What did Peter say to that? Well, you you know, I phileo love you, Father. I don't agape you. When Jesus said, Peter, do you agape me? He said, no, I don't. Peter, do you agape me? No, no, I just phileo love you, Father. I can't make agape love, Father. I just can't do it. If I trust in myself to agape love people, I fall short, been falling short for 2,000 years. But you so love the world that you gave your own son to live through us. And what a great example, Steve, that you just said. God knew he didn't love him, but Peter needed to know that he didn't love him. And Peter had the way, only way Peter got to know that he didn't love him was to say, I love him and fail to act that out. So Peter was not believing because his faithfulness wasn't enough to do it. It had to be demonstrated to Peter that God loved him in spite of him. Yeah, and this is why it's so important to get that one single verb right. I mean, in many places in the Bible, it's important to get the verb right, but here... It's extremely important to get the verb right. He loved us. Yes, yes. Do you want to close us in prayer? Yeah. Father, thank you. All we can say is what manner of love is this that we should be called your children? Thank you that you loved us so much. Thank you that you allowed yourself to to be put through that. Thank you that you were so patient that you took thousands of years to demonstrate, to get to the point where we could appreciate that your love, that agape love is, as Peter, or as John said, what manner of love is this? It's just not human love. And it comes through your faithfulness. That is why you did John 3.16, because you loved us. You loved us and came to us when we couldn't come to you. You allowed us to to even believe something that wasn't true for all those thousands of years that we were separated from you and we never were. 
now we know that you loved us all that time but you allowed us to go through that so we would have an appreciation of just how unbelievable, indescribable that love you have for the world is. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you guys. Thank you. We love you guys. Love with you guys. God's Thank love. You. With God's love. We rely on his love because that's what John 3.16 just taught us. Amen.